Welcome back to the Gary Wilson podcast. We have with us Matthew Barrett again. He was with us last week and we were talking about uh, one of the amazing aspects of the Trinity. And today we're going to go uh, more away, not away from the Trinity, but uh, maybe something that parallels with it uh, in speaking about one of the um, possibly an attribute of God. We're going to talk about that. Is this an attribute of God, but the incomprehensibility of God. And uh, Matthew has written a book called None Greater. And I highly recommend that. We talked last week about simple uh, simply Trinity, and um, both of them are uh, well worth the price and your time to read. It'll, it'll. We talked last week about how it helps your devotion in life to your worship of God when you understand the Trinity and understand some of the attributes and characters, the character and nature of God. Welcome back, Matt. Glad to have you with us again. So I'm going to be a little selfish today, Matthew. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to confess before I, uh, I'm working on a book as well uh, about the yeah. attributes of God. And um, so I've written several chapters and the one I'm digging into right now, um, that's, why, that's why I wanted to really talk to you on this topic is the incomprehensibility of God. Mm. Um, from my studies, it seems like some, some theologians and some church fathers have labeled this uh, incomprehensibility as an attribute of God. And, uh, and uh, before we started here today, you, I, I really liked what you were saying about that. I'd love for you to share your thoughts on uh, maybe this is more than an attribute. It's uh, something that fuels a lot of other attributes, uh, but we're going to be talking about the incomprehensibility of God today. You have a powerful chapter uh, in your book, um, None Greater. Uh, that, that, was, that was the book you wrote before, the most recent one? Okay. That's right. Um, um, so None Greater, um, the undomesticated uh, attributes of God, and then m- more recently, the, the second book, Simply Trinity. That undomesticated. I like that. That's a it's a cool title. It's kind of yeah, wild, uh, yeah, kind of and wild at heart stuff going there. You know, it's like yeah, get, well, get those it. yeah, yeah. Those who uh, are familiar with C.S. Lewis, uh, they may remember that moment in the um, uh, the story of uh, Chronicles of Narnia, um, in which. Um, they ask the the children ask uh, you know is is Aslan safe? And um, I think it's Mr. and Mrs. Beaver, <laughs> and they say safe. Of course he's not safe. <laughs> he's a lion. <laughs> but they say uh, they then say but Aslan Aslan is good, mm-hmm. and um, that uh, that image there. So you know so stuck in my mind. And I thought, you know, uh, what Mr. and Mrs. Beaver are trying to convey is that he, don't, don't think he's not a lion. Uh, he, you cannot tame him. Um, no, no, what lion can be tamed? And so, um, you know, here, well, obviously, when we're talking about God, um, our tendency is to, to tend to domesticate God and uh, describe him in ways that, well, it's really a lot, it's a lot more like describing ourselves, yeah. uh, maybe just a bigger, better version of ourselves. But in truth, the God of the Bible is a God who is um, altogether uh, a different, different from us. And so uh, that changes, that certainly changes the conversation. Yeah, yeah. The, the, in the book, you know, when you're talking about the undomesticated attributes of God, and then you have a chapter on incomprehensibility, 
So my assumption would be that you would see incomprehensibility as an attribute. Uh, and yet, when I was asking that earlier before we started the, this podcast, you were describing it in a, in a nuanced way that I really love. Do you mind sharing a little bit? Yeah. About what, how do you see this as an attribute? or Because uh, an attribute, sometimes people call them perfections of God. Yeah. It's odd that you would call this a perfection in some ways. Uh, you know, you're perfectly incomprehensible. Like I said to you earlier, you know, if, <laughs> if after this podcast I said, Matt, uh, thanks for joining us, Matthew, that was utterly incomprehensible. You, know, you would not take that as a compliment. You would be offended yeah. by it, most likely. We don't want to be incomprehensible. We don't want to have an in- incomprehensible God to some degree, but yet, so is it an attribute? And if so, or if not, what 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 is it and how does it work? And can you yeah. define it? Yeah, happy to. So uh, I like the language you use there, perfection. Sometimes I, I prefer that language uh, to, to attributes uh, just because um, when we are talking about God, uh, we have to quickly recognize that, well, um, he does not have attributes in the way that we have attributes. You know, right. when we talk about you and I, we, we talk about uh all kinds of characteristics that may or may not be true of us to one degree or another. Um, they also are, are characteristics that change or we change constantly. Uh, and sometimes, unfortunately, uh, we change for the better or for the worse. Um, so but when we're talking about God, um, uh, we have to be careful we don't uh, assume any of that of God. Uh, The first thing I I think I want to say is that this is uh, a God who is infinite, um, which of course separates him immediately from anything in this world, including us. Uh, We are very much finite individuals. Uh, We are are finite uh, in the fact that um, we are made and created. We are very dependent beings uh, very dependent on the creator and, and on one another and, and this world. Um, uh, we are also, of course, very fallible as well. Uh, but God, uh, he, is, he is not finite. Um, he is not bound by uh, time and space like we are. Uh, he is not dependent on anyone or anything like, like we are. Um, so this is the... Uh, eternal, timeless, unchanging, and infinite God that that we are uh, we are we are reading about in in the scriptures. Now, if that's the case, then um, that that means that well, in in here I, I can't help but bring into our conversation um, uh, the theologian Anselm, uh, one of my favorites. Um, Anselm made uh, just such an important contribution when he said, well, God is someone than whom none, none greater can be conceived. And here he's not merely talking about, you know, arguments for the existence of God. He's actually talking about who God is. Um, and uh, Anselm goes on to argue, well, if this is true, if, if God is some, someone than whom nothing greater can be conceived, um, then that means that uh, there must be perfect making perfections or attributes, as, as we call them, um, to explain this. 
And of course, Anselm is very familiar with, with scripture and the, way, the ways that scripture then describes this God. Well, all that to say, if this is the infinite, perfect being that we are talking about, um, then unlike us, uh, he is incomprehensible. Now, you've asked a, a, a question about, you know, the attributes of God. You know, do we, how, how do we describe this exactly? Um, when we use a word like incomprehensibility, uh, notice the way that we are more or less trying to, uh, trying to, to make sure that we are talking about God in a way uh, that preserves, that really preserves his infinitude. Yeah. Um, in other words, he is infinite, which means that whenever we talk about any particular attribute of God, we can uh, describe it uh, in relation to that term infinite. So if we talk about his love, for example, um, we can talk about God being infinite in love. Uh, when we talk about his holiness, uh, for example, uh, we can talk about God being infinite in holiness. Anyway, all that to say, when we when we talk about um, when we talk about God, uh, he is infinite in measure. In fact, even our language doesn't even work right because we really need to say he is immeasurable. Um, there's, there's no, he's not just like a bigger, better version of ourselves. Okay. No, this, this is a God who cannot be measured. He, he, he has no body. He's not bound by space and time. He, he doesn't have a succession of moments. He's timeless. He doesn't change. He's immutable and so on. Well, if that's the case, then whenever we describe this God, uh, and, and describe his infinite holiness as infinite love and so on. Um, that word infinite reminds us that, well, this is a God um, that you as a finite creature, well, this is a God who is incomprehensible to you. Now, we can talk more about this in a minute. You know, what does that mean for our knowledge and how, how can we know God and that sort of thing? Um, but I think it's really crucial to say before we even get to those questions, um, this is the way that we see even the biblical authors describe God. For example, uh, I can't help but think of 1 Timothy 6, right? Where, where Paul can say, here he's, he's uh, really entering into a very prayerful prose. And he can say, he who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Notice Paul's language there, right? Uh, this is not a God that Paul thinks you can domesticate. Uh, this is a God who is, as Paul says here, he dwells in inapproachable light. And I think that Paul here is actually building off of the book of Deuteronomy and really the Old Testament as a whole. When he says, uh, he dwells in inapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. Deuteronomy actually makes the same statement when it's warning Israel, don't go the, the direction of those idols that you make and fashion with your own hands that you can see. 
Instead, mm-hmm. Deuteronomy says, God has no form. He's not made up of parts. He's not, he's not dependent on you. Mm-hmm. And even Moses, right? Moses knows this firsthand. When, when, uh, when Moses then encounters that, that bush that's just inflamed, um, Moses realizes uh, this, is, this is the God um, that I bow before. Uh, this is a God who, who dwells in a type of inapproachable light that I cannot even begin to fathom. Right. And as Moses then leads the people out of uh, Egypt um, and then to Sinai, he encounters this again as God hides him behind the rock. Uh, and Moses says, just show me your glory. Show me your glory. And God says, Moses, you do not know what you are asking. And so he hides Moses behind the rock uh, and passes by um, and only, you know, so to speak, sees his, his backside. Uh, Moses learns that, well, this is the incomprehensible God. His is not the God of the other nations, uh, gods that, that um, they, they see they make gods they fashion. Now, this God is altogether, um, altogether different from us. Yeah, yeah. The, that's a good starting place, I think, to keep us uh, from arrogance, uh, keep, to keep us walking in humility before God, is to not sense we have uh, obtained a complete comprehension. Uh, I kind of liken it to, uh, uh, I'm not very mathematical, but you know, I've, se- I've seen these big, posters of uh, these long, you know, 40 or 50 different elements on a, you know, pi MC squared, three, you know, and I can't comprehend what it's saying, but I do say like, oh, there's a three up there or there's a minus sign or a plus sign or a multiple. And so I can grasp some of what I'm seeing there, but not all of it. And I think some of us begin to think, you know, God, God's, I've been a Christian for 20 years and I go to church every Sunday and I read my Bible and pray. Of course, God's comprehensible. I I know. know. And so I think it's really important that we do teach this subject so that we don't become maybe, uh, you know, as, uh, or of uh, somebody who would drive you to a party, you know, uh, uh, than it would be to be a God who would, uh, be uh, in awe of, or the, the word reverence comes to mind too when I think of incomprehensibility, and so so it's really good that you know in your chapter you you strongly emphasize the, you know, the importance of this 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 subject, and um, yeah, I think you're commenting on a little more of a definition of incomprehensibility. What does it what does it mean in a sense? Uh, what does it not mean? Uh, how does it flow with you know? Because some people add another attribute: the knowability of God. Uh, or the revelation that he's a God who reveals himself. Um, those two things almost seem contradictory. So how do you define it? And how do you, uh, how does it work with him being a God who reveals himself? Yeah, good question. So um, on the one hand, we are arguing and from, from a very basic uh, scriptural teaching that uh, this is the God, as Paul says, uh, and, and to Timothy, this is a God who dwells in unapproachable light. And um, as I mentioned, uh, this, of course, is building on the testimony of the Old Testament. 
um, in which uh, Moses, for example, and the book of Deuteronomy, but the whole Old Testament um, refuses to domesticate this God and um, uh, instead understands that um, this is a God whose glory um, cannot be measured. Um, now, that being the case, uh, that means that, well, that certainly would follow if he is uh, someone who is infinite, set apart, um, and eternal, um, in contrast to us who are finite and very, very much dependent upon him for all things. Uh, that then raises the very question you, you've mentioned, Gary, which is, well, um, if this God is incomprehensible, uh, can, we, can we know him in any way? And the answer is, yes, you, we can know God, but God himself is very careful to, um, to set uh, in motion the rules of the game, uh, so to speak. Um, this is not, uh, some, sometimes uh, there's been dangers um, on either side of the road. Um, some have said, well, uh, and this really denies God's incomprehensibility. Some have said, well, let's go in the direction of uh, rationalism. And they think, well, we can know God, um, even in our finite minds, we can know him in a one-to-one fashion. Some have uh, gone the other direction and have said, well, uh, we can't know anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we want to avoid, and sometimes that has led to uh, a more uh, agnostic type of uh, approach. Well, uh, we have to avoid those two dangers. Um, we are affirming God's incomprehensibility, but then we're also recognizing that this God chooses to reveal s- something true about himself, uh, and he does it through his works and through his words. And uh, one of the ways that uh, you, t- you take a, a reformer like John Calvin, for example, Calvin loved to say, um, this incomprehensible God is beyond our understanding. Um, and at the same time, we can know him as he has revealed himself to us through his works or through the effects um, uh, of his works in front of us. Uh, and of course, the gospel comes to mind naturally. Mm-hmm. Um, all that to say, on the one hand, we cannot know God exhaustively, right. but we can know him truly. Um, and that's an important qualification to make. It okay. avoids kind of those, those uh, ditches on both sides, uh, both sides of the road. And it simultaneously preserves uh, who God is and our, uh, our total dependence upon him to know uh, who he is and how he has revealed himself to us. Yeah, yeah. The um, you were so, also earlier. I'd like for you to circle back to this. Um, we were talking off off air uh, this about seeing the incomprehensibility of God as not so much an attribute all in itself, but it's one that affects. Like like his love is incomprehensible. Is that is that how you're saying that? Like, yeah. So this is a good exercise, right? Um, no matter what perfection or attribute we are referring to, um, 
we have to make sure that we are preserving incomprehensibility. Yeah. Um, so on the one hand, uh, let's just take an example, right? Uh, I have a dog. Um, his, his name, ironically enough, is Calvin. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I'll come home from work and I'll say, uh, uh, good dog, you know, and, and probably, you know, give him a bit of a, a pet uh, on the belly and um, he might go run and, you know, fetch his ball, that sort of thing. Um, but let's say, you know, the next day, uh, I wake up and I say, Hey kids, it's, it's, it's time for church. It's time to get ready for church. And so we go to church and the first song we sing, we, we, we sing God is good, uh, echoing the Psalms, right? Well, uh, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully I think my kids would know, um, dog calvin is not good in the same way uh that we're saying god is good yeah right um hopefully most christians assume that much um and they even in the way that we talk but we have to be careful because sometimes we don't and we can start to to think oh um you know god is just good in the same way uh, that so-and-so is good uh no, when we talk about God, right, he is infinite in goodness. He is infinite in goodness. His goodness is immeasurable. Um, it is bottomless. There, there is, uh, and likewise, we can then speak uh, in, in all kinds of ways. His justice. Uh, his justice is immeasurable in its, the perfection of his holiness, so notice here, um, the way we are describing God, um, well, it's very careful to preserve incomprehensibility. Um, in theology, uh, we make a really important distinction at this point. And uh, this is where um, someone like Thomas Aquinas is so uh, very profound, because he says, well, uh, when we talk about God, our language of God must be analogical. Mm -hmm. In other words, um, our language doesn't assume that uh, we can uh, describe God in a one-to-one -one fashion that would, that would then exhaust his incomprehensibility. Um, and yet at the same time, it's analogical, so it does say something true uh, about this God, even though it's not exhaustive. That point by Thomas Aquinas, it's just a, another way of carefully preserving the creator-creature distinction um, so that we don't run into the danger of thinking, well, in my mind, however I conceive of God, um, that just, that's just the limit of it. Um, any, anyone who's poured over the scriptures for a lifetime knows, actually, the more you learn about this God, number one, the more you realize you don't know. <laughs> There's so much more, actually, than you realize. And number two, uh, the more you actually find your own thoughts corrected. Um, so at one point, um, maybe you, you thought about God in a way that, uh, well, he changes. And then as 
as you read the scriptures, you recognize, well, hold on a second. Um, if that's the case, then this can't be the infinite and incomprehensible God. He's actually not any different than us. Oh, this is a God who is unchanging. He is immutable. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever, as Hebrew says about Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's good. That's really, uh, I really like that. That's my, it's a very touching. The um, most of the church fathers seem to be, you, know, you see, there's quote, their quotes, and they're, they're kind of almost borrowed off each other. There's the sense of, uh, you know, the finite mind cannot comprehend the infinite. Um, yeah. You know, that, that seems to be the basic description of incomprehensibility. And yet they're very quick, like you, to, to, to not just be on one side of the fence that to say, like, but, but he is knowable. And, uh, you know, that's, I, I kind of liken it to, I was sharing a devotion this morning uh, with our staff and I was talking a little bit about this subject and I came with, I don't, you might correct me if this is a wrong uh, analogy, but uh, I was just picturing a, a little girl going out in the backyard with her father late, late at night. And he has just bought this amazing telescope. Yeah. And he, um, he, he, you know, puts the little girl in front of the telescope and she sees the moon and like she reaches out at the end of the telescope to grab it like daddy, the moon's right here. It's so close. <laughs> you know, to me, that's this balance of incomprehensibility and nobility of God is he really is still distant. He really still is out there beyond our grasp, but his revelation has made it seem to us like, you know, when I read first Corinthians two and it says, you know, you can know the deep things of God. Well, that doesn't sound incomprehensible. That sounds quite comprehensible. Like if, if, if it's deep, but yet, it's this sense of, you know, his, out of, to me, out of his kindness, he has graced us with the ability to, to sense, to, to actually know real things, but even have a greater sense of, man, I know a lot about God, even though we don't. And I love what you said earlier about how, you know, the more we find, the more we know about God, the more we realize we don't know. He, he stays incomprehensible while revealing all along more and more about, you know, about himself, the deep things of God. Uh, the, the the things of the spirit that he, that he brings to us, and so um, you know you know one other thing. First uh, John five twenty says, uh, and we know uh, that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know Him. So there really is a a, a knowability. Uh, I don't know. Do you think? Uh, I'm sorry. One more thing. Just uh, I don't mean uh, you're my guest. I, I want to hear from you, but I, I don't want to. I don't want to take up the time here, but. Uh, the the um, like the, the definition of the word incomprehensible, uh, I, I've noticed it's, it's changed. So if you go to Webster's dictionary, like a hundred years ago, it, it meant uh, beyond uh, total grasping of, or uh, you can't have an exhaustive knowledge of a situation. Where now, if you, if you go to Webster's, the current one, if you go Google it online, uh, it says unintelligible. Uh, that that it's that's almost like nonsensical. And so those are two, two, two very different things, aren't they? One being uh, non-exhaustive, but yet real knowledge. And the other being, you know, I think some people today don't like the term incomprehensibility of God because it almost sounds like, yeah, he's just uh, gibberish and gobbledygook that you don't understand. But there's, a, there, there's that nuance there, isn't there? The, the balance of knowing him, that we can know him. Like, like even as John says here, First John uh, he's given us an understanding uh, that we can know him. Uh, these are not contradictory, are they? Yeah, you know, this is one of the reasons why uh, when I'm, you know, maybe it's a churchgoer, maybe it's a fellow pastor. 
it's always good, right, when we're using terms to to say, what do you mean when you describe, when you use that word? And uh, like you're pointing out, uh, sometimes, um, you know, we're using the same words, but meaning different things. Uh, so it's always important to, to clarify. Um, you know, it's an interesting observation you make. Um, when we describe, when, when we use this term incomprehensible, um, on the one hand, we have to be, we have to be clear with folks that um, God is, he is not, um, he's not merely uh, larger than you. Uh, it's not as if he, uh, this is just a quantitative difference, right? Uh, so, you know, when we look at the world around us, uh, we might say, well, um, the universe, that galaxy, that certainly is uh, quantitatively um, larger than you and I. And we might even say, oh, it's incomprehensible. And we would probably know what you know, what we mean by that. However, we have to remember when we're talking about God, that uh, he is not merely quantitatively bigger than, than you or me. He, he's not just uh, like a, a superhero. <laughs> he's not like us, just bigger and better than us. Uh, rather, the way that scripture describes God he is altogether different. Um, he is, so, so notice it's getting at a qualitative difference, not merely a quantitative difference. Yeah. Um, we see this emphasized again and again in the book of Isaiah, for example, because Isaiah is hard-pressed to show the Israelites this Yahweh, well, he Yahweh is not anything like these gods that you are worshiping, these mm -hmm. false idols. And so Isaiah is going, uh, and really it's God himself speaking, is going to then explain um, how he is, he is not dependent like these other idols are. Um, he, he is not a god uh, who can be thwarted. And, and Isaiah is going to go so far as to say this, this God, um, he, is, he is not uh, bound or limited uh, in some way um, like we are. Well, Isaiah is trying to, to get at this, this idea of incomprehensibility. Hmm. Now, at the same time, so, so it's really crucial to emphasize that because I think the tendency in our culture and even in our church culture is, is to just assume uh, that there's, well, a lot of folks will assume there's, there's no sense in which God is incomprehensible, uh, which then puts them in danger of kind of creating little idols in their own hearts that are they're actually quite small mm -hmm. and uh, not anything like uh, the God of the Bible. Now, that said, um, you know, you make a, uh, an important point, you know, we can know this God by the way he has revealed himself to us. So on the one hand, he's incomprehensible, but he then chooses to, to say, I will, I'm going to reveal, um, I'm going to reveal myself to, to finite creatures in a way that uh, 
that they can understand in a way that accommodates them. Uh, this is one of the reasons why I really appreciate, you know, a theologian like John Calvin. Uh, on the one hand, Calvin uh, recognizes that this is the infinite God that we are talking about. Um, so Calvin then raises the question, how then can we know anything? And Calvin says, we can only know something if this God uh, stoops to us, mm -hmm. uh, accommodates himself to us uh, in a way uh, that, that our finite minds then um, can receive. And so he will speak, uh, use the illustration of like a nurse, right? Or maybe it's a parent. Uh, when you have that newborn baby, uh, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, a big uh, burly um, father will stoop down and start talking baby talk, <laughs> right? And why, why is he doing that? Well, uh, he is accommodating to this infinite, this infant in a way that um, uses the infant's language. That infant, of course, doesn't uh, understand things in all of their magnitude, by, of course not. But uh, perhaps in that moment, um, that baby talk, uh, well, it, it brings out a smile or a giggle in that infant, in that infant. Um, Calvin uses this language of accommodation and just is very beautiful because he's not compromising God's incomprehensibility, but he is demonstrating that by God's works, God manifests, manifests himself um, to us, very dependable, finite creatures, so that we can, we can know him in a saving way, and we can know what he has accomplished through his son, Jesus Christ, in a, in a saving way. Even, the, even if we will spend all eternity and we will never exhaust, uh, exhaust um, our knowledge of who this God is. Yeah, that's true. We're, we're never going to become infinite where we go to heaven. I know that's, that's going to be a big change, but it's not an ultimate change. We don't become, you know, like some cults do, uh, we become one with the essence of God in eternity. That's not heaven. That's a, and so, you know, I, and I love what you're saying. I almost thought, Matthew, you were going to, uh, when you talk about accommodating, uh, earlier on you were given the illustration about your dog as compared to bringing your children to to church or Sunday school. I almost thought you were going to say, you know, you're like God and your dog is like you. You know that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the dog understands sort of like uh, time to eat. You know, or uh, good boy. You know, the dog understands that. I, I don't think we want to relate ourselves to dogs necessarily, but at the same time, there is a bit of truth in that. That that you know we are creatures, and God is is creator. He's not, a, he's not a creature. Uh, That's right. He exists in a whole other realm that we can, and we can't really comprehend that, that, mm -hmm. that realm and totality by uh, any means. Yeah. This is one of the reasons why uh, some of the fathers of the church were really careful in the language they used. Mm -hmm. um, so they would say, you know, God is altogether a different type of being than you or I. He's not a creature at all. In fact, some of them, in order, they're grasping for words, right, to somehow um, uh, distinguish God from from creation. Uh, they will say he's he's beyond being. He's the he's the fullness of being, and they're they're trying to use words to somehow uh, communicate. Now, this is um, this is the infinite one. Um, he is he is life 
in and of himself. Um, and so uh, he, it's not as if he depends on us in any way for his existence or his fulfillment or his happiness or um, as if he had need. Uh, right. he, um, he, is, he is altogether uh, life in and of himself. And for that reason, he is maximally alive. Whereas when we talk about you and I, right, um, uh, we, we can't really speak that way. Um, uh, we, we are constantly changing and, and, and that sort of thing. But when we speak about God and his, these perfections, um, well, incomprehensibility, it, it brings us back to these, these statements to say, well, uh, he, he doesn't have to become There's no becoming in God. He doesn't have to become something more uh, than he already is, as as if he must become more alive or more loving or more holy. No, he he just is who he is um, and eternally so. So that that changes, right? That should change the way then uh, not only we talk about God, but but the way that we put our knowledge of God in check. Mm. Man, that's so important. I love that, that you're saying he's more alive than us. I don't think I've ever heard that before, but it, it makes total sense. He, he is the essence of life itself. And then he, we are recipients. We, you know, he has given us life, but it's, it's a secondary sort of a dependent kind of life where his is, is immortal, eternal, invisible. Um, one last question, um, and I'll let you go. I know you've got a lot of other things to, to get to and some students waiting for you. Um, you had mentioned uh, before we actually started recording uh, that this this uh, subject of incomprehensibility of God does have some Trinitarian. Uh, they, they they meet together somewhere. Is there something Trinitarian about incomprehensibility? That's right. Well, we we have to remember right that the God who is incomprehensible is the Triune God. Yeah. Um, the one God who is uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, the reason I, I mention this is because uh, some, well, when we go back to some of the controversies of the early church, um, you think of the Arians, for example, um, they tended to uh, dispense with the mystery and the incomprehensibility of God. So that when they came to core Trinitarian doctrines, uh, they rejected them because they could not, um, according to their own human experience and rationality, they could not wrap their minds around them. Uh, so you, the Arians, for example, would say, well, we, we are going to reject this biblical and orthodox doctrine of eternal generation, that the Son is begotten from the Father's essence from all eternity. But notice why, because they are, they are only thinking about it in a way that corresponds to their human limitations and their human experience. Yeah. Um, and so that led them in a very different direction to say, well, this can't be, uh, this can't be the eternal son of God then. And so they, they went so far to say, well, there's a time when the son was not. All of those pretty disastrous theological theological conclusions they draw uh, could have been avoided if they would have first 
started from that this crucial uh, premise that hold on a second this is we can't we can't speak of this God uh, in a way that's just straight across uh, parallel to our human experience. Remember, this is the infinite and eternal God we are talking about. Uh, and if that's the case, well, on the one hand, Scripture can use and this language of begetting, because that that explains why then we call the Son Son and the Father Father. But then they are very quick to say, "But this is an eternal begetting," and uh, yes, that's hard for you to wrap your mind around because in your human experience. Um, that's not how begetting works, works, but with God, the eternal God, there never was a time when the father was without his son. There never was a time when the son was not, uh, this is the son who's from the father from all eternity. And likewise, then they would say the spirit, this is the spirit who proceeds from the father and the son, but from all eternity. So I guess the, the, the point I want to make here is that incomprehensibility really um, it, it, it puts in, in place that creator-creature distinction. Mm. And it protects us then from domesticating God in all kinds of ways that would either forfeit his perfections, whether it's his eternality, his immutability, his knowledge, so many others, or it could put us in danger of forfeiting key Trinitarian doctrines, uh, like the ones I just mentioned, that would again tend to domesticate God, and, and you end up then at the end of the day with a God that actually looks a lot more like you uh, than anything else. Mm. I love it, man. That's, that's, that's rich stuff, and I'm, I'm glad people are getting to hear this uh, that aren't necessarily... Uh, in seminary right now, but they're getting to hear some things that they may not hear otherwise. So I really appreciate, Matthew, you taking the time to share your heart with us and some of the stuff that you've uh, delved into in, in your own studies and, and your own writings, um, none greater. Uh, it it can, can take people to deeper levels of God and simply Trinity. Uh, these are at least two of several other books that you've written. And they can, they can if you put your name in on uh, Amazon or some other uh, entity they can find out because uh, you've written other books as well, right? Yeah, that's right. Um, uh, I've, I've written a number of other books, um, God's Word Alone, uh, a book that looks at our doctrine of Scripture. Uh, but but yeah, None Greater and Simply Trinity, these are two of the most recent. Yeah, very good. Well, we'll uh, and uh, Credo, C-R-E-D-O, right? That's uh, your podcast. And uh, you uh, is it like a magazine as well? That's right. So uh, if you go to the website, uh, credomag.com, uh, you'll find there um, an online magazine uh, that comes out quarterly. And you'll also find um, um, a podcast comes out twice a month. And uh, I sit down and talk with uh, all kinds of great um, theologians today yeah. um, about some of the most important doctrines of the faith. Yeah, very good. I, I love it. appreciate it. Well, thank you for your time today. really appreciate it. God's blessing on you and your great ministry. Keep up the good work. Thanks for having me again. Uh, always great to see what you're doing and, and so blessed. Thank you. Thank you. 
The Gary Wilkerson Podcast is brought to you by World Challenge, transforming lives through the message and mission of Jesus Christ. Each week, this podcast reaches thousands of listeners. This critical work is made possible by the generous contributions of individuals like you who believe in World Challenge's mission. Thank you for listening and supporting.